0: You are listening to the National University Podcast.
1: Hello, I'm Kimberly King. Welcome to the National University Podcast, where we offer a holistic approach to student support, well-being, and success, the whole human education. We put passion into practice by offering accessible, achievable, higher education to lifelong learners. Today we are talking about growing your small business, some great advice coming up, and uh, kind of age-old advice, which is uh, always in season. So we talk about having enthusiasm for your business, outsourcing, working smarter, not harder, and utilizing the hardest part into human resources, really keeping good people around you, and learning how to delegate that authority. Some great advice today coming up on the show. On today's episode, we're talking about how to take your business, your small business to the next level. And joining us is Dr. Ricard Briggs. Dr. Briggs is a committed and well accomplished global entrepreneur and academic with over 30 years of experience in business and academia. He has founded, launched and developed seven international business related to asset management healthcare, business process management, insurance, and consulting, as well as developed international partnerships with companies in North America, Asia, Australia, Africa, and in the Middle East. And we welcome you to the podcast. Dr. Briggs, how are you?
2: I'm very well. Thank you for asking. And it's a pleasure to be here.
1: Well, it's great to have you. Why don't you fill our audience in a little bit on your your passion and your mission before we get to today's show topic?
2: absolutely so uh i have pretty much for most of my life been working as an entrepreneur i started my first business at the uh, prime age of 12. (laughs) yes Mm. it was it wasn't a paper route it was uh outsourcing which ultimately became uh the foundation of my main business and i opened up in my 30s i took that global we went international or excuse me we went domestic within six months and then we went international to three countries within six months. Then we went global within the year. Ended up having uh, just over 500 employees that we had the majority located outside the United States and the the majority of the management, as well as sales, accounting, legal and such were based here in the States. The idea or the concepts were that we had the core individuals based out of the States and then we outsourced the, the billing, the telephones and the data service offshore.
1: Wow, that's incredible. And to think you started at such an, an early age. You must have had some uh, great role models around you.
2: Um, I did I, I grew up in, I grew up in New York City and there was a lot of innovation, opportunity as well as enthusiasm for individuals who were looking to do things differently. That was ed, uh, that was proffered by not only the uh, school, the teachers, but also all of the individuals within the community that I lived.
1: Kudos to you. That's wonderful. And thank you for being a mentor to all of us now who uh, have the pleasure of listening to to this podcast. Today, we're talking about how to grow your business and how to take it to the next level. And so, Dr. Briggs, in your opinion, what are the most critical components needed to elevate a business to its next level of growth?
2: Indeed, that is a a great question. And one of the foundational ones that I utilize when I talk to individuals looking to grow their business. Arguably the most important element from my perspective is enthusiasm. Quite frankly, if you're not committed to your business, then you're going to have difficulties convincing other people to invest or otherwise become involved in your business. So having uh, the mindset of development is internal. You have to be able to project to not only to your employees, but to your investors and to the community that you want to grow. So it is extremely important that the individual focuses primarily on their mental health and their enthusiasm to developing their business. Without that enthusiasm, you're going nowhere.
1: Such a good point. And I can hear your enthusiasm and obviously your passion. Uh, Can you share a specific instance where you successfully scaled your business operations and the lessons you took from that experience?
2: Absolutely. Actually, I have an interesting story in reference to that first story that I told you when I was 12 years old, and I'll explain that in a little bit more context to give you an idea on how I developed that opportunity. But then I took that information, I've applied it throughout my life. So I was 12 and I I grew up in New York City. We had a local community and I was involved With the local football team, our our little community had a football team, uh, East Midtown Plaza Rangers is what we called ourselves. But nonetheless, we played uh, actively in the afternoons. Now, I worked part time. At 12 years old, I delivered dry cleaning. All I had to do was go to Howie's place. He was a local dry cleaner. And I spent about two hours. I would take the dry cleaning and I would deliver it. I, was, uh, I got $25 for my shift, so it was a flat fee, and I was able to retain the tips and gratuities from the deliveries. One day, my team wanted me to play football, and I said, ah, guys, I can't, I can't, I have to go and do my, my work. And they said, hey, Rick, how about we come help you, then you can get it done really quickly, then we can all go play football. I said, ah, yeah, that's a great idea. So we went and I said, Howie, is it okay if my friends help me? He said, oh yeah, sure, that's great. So we all went about making the deliveries and sure enough, we were all done. There was 10 of us, we were done in 15 minutes. And as I was walking out of the dry cleaner, Howie said, hey, Rick, you still get your $25. So I'm standing in the, the center of the dry cleaning place with twenty five dollars in one hand, five dollars in the other hand from my tips. Now I usually made fifteen or twenty dollars in tips, but I was willing to forego my ten dollars in tips to cut my time and effort down by almost eighty <laughs> percent. So so exactly. it became... that out
1: early. That's Right. I'm I standing
2: that. in the shop, looking outside, looking at my friends, looking at the money, and it it I didn't understand the concept yet of outsourcing, but I knew I was onto something. And thereafter, I asked my friends on a semi-regular basis to come help me. So I was able, and they were ecstatic. They all had five or six dollars in their hands from the tips that they made, and that was their first job. So it was a win-win unilaterally how Howie was excited because the customers got their deliveries quicker. I was okay. excited. I made a, a, almost the same amount of money in a fraction of the time, and my friends were happy. They all had some money. In a roundabout way, that is not a bad example of a business development opportunity. I was able to identify an opportunity I accidentally, but I understood that there was some uh, something there. I didn't know what it was on how I could maximize my performance. So again, I'm gonna circle back to the most important thing that I can tell you when it comes to business development, work smarter, not harder.
1: (laughs) There you go, there's your headline. I love that. And again, I love the fact that you got your football team, you figured that out at an early early age. Uh, Good for you. What do you believe are the main barriers preventing your business from reaching its full potential and how are you addressing these challenges?
2: so if you had told me from the get-go that human resources would be the most problematic part of any business, I would not have believed you. My first response or any entrepreneur's response was, heck no, the hardest part of a business is making money. Mm, No, if you've got a good idea and you've got uh, good people, the money comes organically. Keeping those good people, that's the real problem. So mm-hmm. what I found out very quickly was that I was spending more time working with HR issues, everything from staffing to days off sick time benefits and the, the full golem of everything that's HR handles as a small business. Unfortunately, you're the lone wolf. You're handling all of these elements yourself. So when you start taking the majority of your time and shifting it over to personnel issues and you lose the effort and the energy of driving your business development, that's going to be a problem. I personally ran through about a year where the business was losing money, not losing money revenue-wise, but we weren't growing. And today's conversation is about growth and we were stagnant. We couldn't, I couldn't, I might as well have put a revolving door on on the office. I was losing people so quickly. And uh, the, a lot of it had to do with me being, uh, well, a so-and-so because I was a, a micromanager. I was, the lo- I was the lone wolf. When you start, when it's just you, you have to do everything by yourself. Learning how to delegate authority, uh, assign people the tasks, understand that people are much better at certain things than you are, that takes time. And my business grew so quickly, I didn't have that time to develop those necessary skills to allocate and delegate that responsibility uh, effectively. What I was I was ashamed of doing was putting people down. I actually mm-hmm. went back to school so I could learn how to run that company better. And I did. One of the main issues, or one of the main things that I was able to understand was that if I treat people the way, well, we, we the golden rule, but if I actually, allocated some of the business to them, I would they had skin in the game. So immediately, one of the major uh, considerations that I undertook was changing it over to an employee owned company. At that point in time, I never lost another executive thereafter.
1: And good for you that you went back to school to figure that out, because, again, delegating that authority and, and not to say that you're a control freak, but it's your baby, right? This is your business. And so when you're doing everything, it's hard to let go of the reins a little bit. So, uh, you know, sometimes you do have to go back to school. That's that is great. In terms of a business development and growth, how do you strategically plan for new market opportunities or expansions?
2: Market research. We have been we have been given a, a good number of gifts recently with uh, the uh, insertion of artificial intelligence. Because I'm actually fooling around now with developing marketing plans for specific businesses using AI. Brilliant, brilliant. But AI is not doing anything that. You're not spo- that you're supposed to be doing, which is research, period. You have to understand your market. You have to understand whether or not your market is oversaturated, under-fulfilled. Uh, under, uh, you need to be able to delegate and responsibility to individuals within your organization to find those opportunities within your market to grow your business or outside your market to further expand your business.
1: That's a good point. And you know what? It's so funny. We think we have all these talents and we're great at everything, right? Until we aren't. <laughs> and so uh, again, delegating that and finding people's sweet spot, that's uh that's a great leader. Can you elaborate on how you foster innovation within your organizations to stay competitive and stimulate growth?
2: Yes. Uh, every day, every day. Uh, so And not a day goes by that I'm not thinking about how I can encourage other people to be more creative. And innovation and creativity go hand in hand. And I'll share this one story. An organization, by its nature, creates a culture. And that culture is extremely important to its growth. If you have a poor culture or poor work uh, environment, your company's not going to be successful. I mean, I've just seen that too many times. And I, I think we talked about this a little bit t- uh, in the past about cockroaches, about the individuals who just want to, you know, scurry away at five o'clock. Well, no, what we want to do is we want to create organizations where people want to want to be there, that they, they want to do their best work. And one of the things and I'll share this story. This story is about Brenda, who was one of our uh, staff accountants. She was let me put you a visual here. She looked like a librarian, a sixty-five-year-old lady, very thin, uh, round-rim glasses, you know, hair, hair up. You got the image now. So, and she was very, very diligent with her work. She loved spreadsheets, <laughs> and, you're, and I say that laughing because I hate them. So, anyone who loves spreadsheets is is my idol. <laughs> anyway, she. Um, yes. She, we had this copy machine in the office. Now, where, where she sat was in the center of the office. We had offices around, and then we had cubicles in the center. She sat in one of the cubicles in the center, right next to a giant copier that we called Goliath. Now, Goliath, turned on in the morning, and it made this horrific noise. It sounded like a locomotive train going through the office. And it took about 15 minutes for the thing to boot up, So, so which I'm sure irked Brenda. So, so, Brenda, I came in one day, and I had to walk by, past Goliath every morning in order to get to my office. And one morning, I walked through the office, and Goliath was gone. And I yelled, <laughs> and I yelled out, and I said, oh, my God, we've been robbed. Someone stole Goliath. <laughs> Brenda. Brenda popped out of her cubicle with wire rim, wire rim glasses and all and spreadsheets in hand. And she said, Rick, Rick. And I said, yes, Brenda. She said, uh, she said, I, I, I moved B- Goliath. I said, what? I said, how'd you move Goliath, Brenda? She says, well, not me, not me. I had the maintenance crew do it. And I said, why'd you do that, Brenda? And she said, well, I've been running some numbers. And I said, I bet you have. <laughs> she laid out her... She laid out her spreadsheet and she said, I've been evaluating the usage of Goliath for the last 30 days. And I've come to the conclusion that if we move Goliath to the other side of the office, we will save 14.5 business hours, which translates to almost $1,800 a month in savings. And I said, oh. Brenda, really, how did you do that? And she said, well, I also discovered that people are actually wasting a little bit of time over here because they tend to talk a little bit too long. And I said, oh, Brenda, OK. I said, and where did you move the company to, Brenda? She said, Come with me. I put it on the other side. I said, Oh, great, great, Brenda. So we went to the other side, and I said, Oh, Brenda, oh, I'm so proud of you. I said, Here, plug it in. And so Brenda bent down. She went to plug it in. She looked at the plug. It had five prongs. The one on the wall had two. She said, Uh oh. And I said, Huh. I wonder, maybe that's why Goliath was on the other side because it needs a special plug. And she goes, Aw. And I said, But here's the thing what did Brenda get? Brenda got a $250 gift card to take her family out to dinner that weekend because what she did was completely outside of her comfort zone. And it was the environment that I was creating in that organization, which is innovation. She was an accountant by sheer nature. And she took her skill set, saw an opportunity to help the company and did it that's rewarded hands down every single time. And, and we call that entrepreneurship. That's where individuals create opportunities or new innovative ideas within the company that they work for. And intrapreneurship is more common than entrepreneurship. Quite frankly, in today's organizations, if you're not contributing to that organization's bottom line, you will be passed over. It's not so much doing your job today, it's doing more and helping the organization grow is the key,
1: boy, to be heard loud and clear? By the way, I feel like that is missing, and so just even. And another example, and I love. I think we should all have a Brenda in our lives. <laughs> I love that story. So thanks for for sharing that. But you know, even when you go, uh, I don't know, maybe an airline or or a business, and you have somebody there that really can't uh, make make that executive decision right there. Maybe an airline might be too big, but even at a fast food place or something where they're like, no, they have those boundaries or those rules and they won't think outside the box. I think customer service and entrepreneurship is definitely missing today and, and should be taught. And everybody should, should do that not to, to waste money with the company, but just even that customer service. And I love that story about Brenda. That's a great story.
2: A, a lot of that, and I'm just going to add on to that. A lot of that has to do with uh, trust. Trust mm. is the key. Is the key word in that. If uh, leadership does not have trust in their employees to make decisions in the in the organization's best interest, then you don't have a good working relationship. You yeah, have to so trust true. your employees to make. And even if the decision is the wrong one, that's fine because, quite frankly, we'll learn more from our mistakes than we will from our successes.
1: And that's great leadership right there. I think, you know, that's wonderful. That gives me great hope and that you're the one in the teaching. (laughs) (laughs) When you consider your growth journey, how has your leadership style evolved and what impact has it had on your team's ability to help this business grow? That right there is a fine example with Brenda, but do you have any other um, stories that you can share?
2: Well, yes, actually, I think I touched on it a little bit when we first started talking in essence i was a so-and-so uh, i could use an expeditive which is would be more descriptive but i'm going to stick with so-and-so we'll use
1: our imagination <laughs> and, and,
2: yes and, and, and you could be creative i was and just to give you an idea I, I was the individual the ceo sending out emails at four o'clock in the morning calling people stupid <laughs> because Ooh. of the decisions that they made the day before And I don't know, a lot of individuals that I've worked with have had managers and leaders like this. Uh, And unfortunately, I fell into that category, again, because I didn't have the skill set to lead my organization correctly. I went back and I got the education and the training. And I tell people time and time again at this point in time that not only can I validate the additional education and I can quantify it and how I had arguably the best way to quantify education. I had a business. They taught me things. I took those things. I put them into the business and I watched the money grow. So if you say, well, how did, how did you gauge whether or not that worked? I made more money. Well, so mm-hmm. if I lost money in initiating a new program, I wouldn't do it. So- Uh, Yes, I did have failures in that, but it was very easy to figure out which ones were working and which ones were not very quickly. So in essence, the revenue did continue to grow. And when we're talking about growth, we're talking about change. The, The most important thing from leadership is to throw the status quo out the door. If you're doing the same thing today that you did yesterday, then you're not running your organization effectively. You need to change every single day, everything that you do, or at least think about changing it you can't walk in saying oh you know what my company is absolutely fantastic today no it's not there's always room for improvement it's the same thing i do it and let's just bring this to a micro level every year i go out and i look at uh car insurance policies why because maybe there's a new policy that's less expensive than the one that i have and that makes that's common sense to me. But do you know how many people never change their auto insurance? They will sign up for it. Thirty years later, they're still on the same policy. Maybe you're paying fifty dollars more per month than you need to. Multiply mm-hmm. that by thirty years. I'm and so, go check. <laughs> uh, so it's a very it's it's a good analogy when we talk about uh, ignoring the status quo. But it's also a good 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 policy for personal finance.
1: I love it. And that's true. I mean, really, nothing's ever going to be perfect. So that willingness to change and, and make things better. That's, uh, that's great advice. Uh, I could talk to you all day. We have some great information here, but right now we just need to take a quick break. So,
0: And now a National University tip on getting started. For me, personally, I knew I wanted to pursue a, a, an education due to what I wanted to do in, in life. But if I had to look back at somebody in my same position, I would tell them, for one, get rid of every reason why you can't go to school. Just deciding and then committing to it, the first place to start is, what do you enjoy? What do you care about? And if there's a degree that you, know, you can translate that into, then let's go after that. If you're unsure, talk to somebody who's currently in school. If you're serving with somebody who's going to school, talk to them about it and what their experience is like. The thing is, I truly believe as far as the general education, it's a perfect time to develop an understanding of what you want to do. It helps you figure out what you want to do. There's always going to be room to adjust, to make changes. And so looking at anybody who was sitting in my position and they're thinking about going to school, I would tell them, go down to that college office, they can guide you and and help you figure out what it is or ways that you can make it happen.
1: Stay with us. And now back to our interview with Dr. Ricard Briggs, and we're discussing how to grow your small businesses. And so Dr. Briggs, great information, and I love all your examples. Can you discuss any strategic partnerships or alliances that have significantly influenced your business's growth trajectory?
2: Yes, uh, that's an easy question to answer. However, it may be more complex for a lot of individuals, primarily based on whether or not you subscribe to a nationalistic approach to doing business or a globalistic approach to doing business. I have always embraced globalization as a key factor in the development of any business. Whether or not you're advertising to be an executive assistant, part time, perhaps helping someone, whether or not you're even running, and I'll say this, a bakery. Well, you're gonna say, well, bakery? Why, why would I outsource items uh, from a bakery to, let's say, the Philippines? Ah, but what does a bakery do? A bakery sells product and service or products to the local community. So perhaps you could outsource uh, your marketing campaign to a foreign entity for the, for a fraction of the cost, allowing them to do the marketing for you, because everything's digital. You, I mean, we're talking now, we're 3,000 miles apart. Everything's available online. And why would you wanna pay someone in the States $15, $20 an hour to run your marketing campaign or your PPC campaign when you can pay someone in the Philippines who arguably may have more experience than the individual mm-hmm. in the States, $3 an hour. And you're saying, well, oh, that's unfair. No, it's the economy of that country that allows you to pay them a fair wage. $3 an hour in the Philippines is a fair wage for them and you get top knowledge, uh, top quality people. The same holds true unilaterally for almost every service. You can, if you have a bakery, then you have accounting that needs to be done. You could outsource your accounting, your tax service to an accounting firm in India. I know it sounds crazy, but yes, they have have to go through the same educational processes to uh, subscribe to the IRS in the United States as a tax professional in the United States. So arguably, you're getting the same level of intelligence at a fraction of the cost. All you have to do is upload your documents online and you're done so if you take a look at oh hr we talked about hr a little bit can you outsource your hr absolutely there is no need in today's global environment to have your 500 employees under one roof you can have your core element under one roof making your product and then you can outsource the the legal you can outsource the accounting you can outsource the marketing and I'm, I'm using that holistically. The, the concept that I'm trying to uh, proffer here is to delegate the work responsibility to individuals who can do a better job than you can. And ultimately, it would be wonderful if they could do it for less money. So uh, does that, does, I think that answers the question.
1: That's such great advice, and again, even food for thought for a little business like my own in, in PR and marketing uh, and media and all that. But that for the tax purposes, or or as you said, human resources, what a great that's great piece of advice. And uh, you know, so, we're all yeah.
2: Well, I'm going to add on to that really quickly because there are several companies uh, that have platforms where what you do is you if you have a project, you go and you post your project, and people bid on it. So you'll get bids from, uh, for example, uh, and I tell students to do this because students are asking me, oh, I, I need a proofreader and I don't want to pay a dollar fifty a page. And I tell them, go to Guru, tell them what you're looking for, and you will get 15, 20 offers to proofread your work for pennies uh, on the pennies per page. And they'll say, well, where are these people located? All over the world. You'll have uh, librarians from the Ukraine offering to proofread your work. You'll have... English teachers from the Mediterranean, offering to do the same thing. Because it for them, that's their side hustle. And they'll take a few extra dollars. I mean, quite frankly, you're an, as an adjunct professor, you're only getting a, per, a small percentage of what a full-time faculty member makes. That's okay for you. So I'm sure it's okay for someone in France to proofread a student's paper in the United States for 20 cents per page.
1: I love it. So you said guru. Are there some others? I've I've used Fiverr before. I don't know if that's yes, one that's yes. also, okay.
2: There's a number of different sites. The, the, the simplistic way is you know uh, bid for work. Uh, do a Google search, bid for work, and it'll list all the sites.
1: Okay, good. Good to know. Thank you. So, but great advice. I love that. How do you uh, balance short term needs such as cash flow with long term objectives like sustainable growth?
2: That's an excellent question, and uh, uh, again, I I will say that one of the major dilemmas leadership and owners face with businesses is revenue. The concern for generating revenue, unfortunately, sometimes is the old, you know, can't see the trees through the forest, right? Um, They're so focused on making money, they lose sight on what they actually wanted to do which will solve a problem. I tell people s- six days and twice on Sunday that ignore the money, focus in on fulfilling the product or the service, or service, excuse me, and the money will take care of itself. If it's not, then you don't have a viable business and you shouldn't have opened it up unless you prototype. And that's a, different, that's a different story. We're talking, this is after we prototyped it, after we've had a, a viable business, we know it's up and running, it's doing good worry less about the money, focus more on the product or the service, the money will take care of itself.
1: Some more great advice. And I feel like in today's uh, environment, uh, just I, th- I think the younger kids, they want to make that money, want to make that money. So your yeah. advice, I think is golden. Um, so from a legal standpoint, what potential challenges do you foresee as your business scales and how are you preparing for them?
2: Great question again. And it's this, uh, but I will put legal in the same category as accounting, tax, anything that is ancillary to your product and service. Everything is changing on such a quick basis. The company that I, uh, my major company, uh, we had, I'm going to say about three or four lawsuits a month. And what yes we did uh i mean we were sending out millions of mailings every every month (laughs) when you're dealing with that sort of volume people get upset (laughs) <laughs> Sometimes. And so we had three or four lawsuits every month. We would get these letters and our we had corporate counsel, we had staff account uh, staff attorneys and such. Generally speaking, they would settle them relatively quickly. It, it, it basically it was more of a shakedown than anything else, but quite frankly, we would settle each one of those cases between five and ten thousand dollars. And you're saying, oh, that's good, that's a lot of money. No, because it became part of your operating expense, just like your electric bill, just like your water bill. We had a legal bill every month and it went from when we first started, we just had one attorney that worked for us and his salary was a hundred thousand a year. So we only had X amount of expense per month. As we started getting more lawsuits, we had to add more and more and more until we had corporate counsel and four staff attorneys just to handle the, the issues that we had. But when you... Factor that into an operational cost instead of an ancillary or an unexpected cost. It makes (laughs) that's the only way that you can do it. So every single month you need to have a budget that is consistent with your growth potential. And that includes legal. So if your legal budget, if you have even if you don't have a, a need for legal right now, there has to be a legal budget and money has to be put aside for that bucket whether or not it's being spent or whether or not it's being utilized in other areas, there has to be an allocation for that. If you're not allocating your funds to project possible issues, then that could be problematic in the future.
1: Some more great advice and that's so true. I think uh, that's,
2: thank you. The, the other thing too is, and I'm just gonna add on to that really quickly because one of the things that is the uh, that falls in line it, it, that popped into my head for legal coverage is E&O insurance, uh, errors and admissions, which is one of the insurance policies. And everyone always tells you, you know, always get more insurance than you need. And that's the same thing with attorneys. Yeah, <laughs> always, have, always have more attorneys than you need.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's good advice. So oh.
2: it, it is. It's basically, it's making sure that you CYA. Okay,
1: great. Wow. Fowl is food for thought. I'm taking notes as you're speaking here. <laughs> uh, in what ways are you integrating technology into your business to support its growth? I know you mentioned AI, but can you share some experiences where technology significantly improved your operations or strategy execution?
2: Yes. This morning, I wrote a marketing plan in five minutes.
1: <laughs> because of AI, right?
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I'm I'm being facetious to a degree. But I mean, this is a transformational time that we're living in Yeah. primarily because the information. So you, we talked about this a little while ago in the sense that it's easy when you know something, it's easy to articulate it because you talk about it all the time. And I tell people when they're creating their pitch for their business, that they have to rehearse it every single day, that they need Hmm. need to be able to articulate what their product or service is very fast concise and in a general term that the majority of people can uh, understand and digest so this the same holds the same holds true with technology might and i'll share this story too because i i learned this lesson from my dad this is back in the early 90s when computers but they were we were still programming in dos and uh, you know we had programmers and whatnot uh, and then suddenly windows came out and i remember i came home one day and my dad was dragging in these enormous boxes because remember the computers back in the day, right? So he's dragging in these huge boxes. I said, "What do you got there, Dad?" He says, "Oh, I bought a computer system today." I said, "I said really, you did?" And he was. I think uh, I'm trying to think. He, he was older at that point in time. I said, "Really?" I said, "I said isn't that isn't that more for my generation?" He said, "Nonsense, nonsense. If I don't figure this out, my business is not going to succeed."
0: And I said,
2: "Really?" I said, "Why is that?" He says, "Because technology is the key." Wow. And I laughed. I laughed because I'm like, okay, goofy dad, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Much, much the same way when I'm standing on the floor of the dry cleaner, I'm scratching my head like, Hey, wait, this is not a bad idea. In hindsight, He hit the nail on the head. If you're not embracing change again, it's it's throw away the status quo, embrace the new technology. And technology for me, revolutionized my industry, uh, my business. Uh, The main reason I was able to outsource was because technology allowed me to have individuals working in five other countries and have them actually working in my office through remote connections. And I so, so five years before I did that, I couldn't have done it. And the only reason I did that is because <laughs> Wait, wait I'm I mean, gonna have to tap, tap into this story too, because one of the things and we all talked about Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, no, not a great place to sell things because every everyone's oh no, this is the way we've always done it i know I, this is the con- i go to joe he's my mechanic i've been going to him for 70 years i'm not going to do anything new so when i opened my business in pittsburgh and started knocking on doors they're like no 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 we're good go away i'm like well this sucks what am i going to do now <laughs> it's and, true. And, but at that point in time i go back at when i when when I realized that Pittsburgh was not going to be a place for me to to make billions of dollars, I'm like, what am I going to do now? Well, there was a new thing called the Internet that I tapped into. And one of the new things that they were doing was PPC, which was pay-per-click. Uh, which was an online marketing campaign. I taught myself to do that. I taught myself to, to create a website. No one in my industry, because it was an antiquated industry, billing and invoicing is not something that really has to change too much. I did. I changed it. I embraced the new technology. I went all online. I was able to remotely access people all around the world. And then I would send my letter service to places, four different places throughout the country because they had the different places with CBS files. I was doing Things for a fraction of the cost that other companies were paying a fortune for, and then, uh, then uh, what would what happened before I started outsourcing was uh, suddenly I made I bought another company, integrated it into my company, and but I had to at that point in time make a lot of money every month in order to pay the bills. We weren't improving. I was making commitments and promises to clients that I couldn't justify or substantiate based on the current level of performance that my uh, individuals were doing globally and in in my office until one day someone knocked on my door and I said, hello. And they said, hey, would you like to try this new software platform? I'm like, no, 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 I'm good. And then he was walking away and I thought to myself, well, wait a second. I'm not a Pittsburgher. Come on back. Come on back. Tell me what you you got. And he explained what he got. I bought it and our business exploded. But it was only because of the experience I had knocking on doors and having people tell me no, 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 that I said, well, geez, you know, you really should try change. And here I was doing the exact same thing, saying, no, no, I'm good.
1: And see, I love that because you're, you're innovative and you uh, say, yes, you know, I mean that you talked about that in the very beginning, that willingness to change and be open to things. And, and that's, uh, that has changed your business model. So I, I love that story. And I love that you taught yourself how to do your, you know, all your online and your marketing and your website. So that sometimes we do need to, to really stretch ourselves so that we can put ourselves
2: in the dark too. A lot of a lot of it had to do with I, I had no money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I when I started my business, I put everything into the to buying the building. I, I had I was flat broke. Every penny that we made for the first few years went right back into the business. So on that, I, yeah, you, when you own a business, you learn to be frugal very quickly. Very quickly. <laughs> Absolutely. <You> know, it, <laughs> which is a beautiful thing because that, in essence, for me, I'm like, okay, what do I need to do here? I need to develop a a different marketing strategy. How am I going to do that? Well, I can't afford to hire a marketing company. Oh, well, I guess I better do it myself. What am I going to do? And I started doing some, (laughs) I started doing some reading and it worked. That's great. I'd like to think I'm a a good teacher.
1: (laughs) You are a good teacher and you're also a pioneer. And I love that. I was just going to tell you quickly my husband just uh is bought into a fishing charter business and he's been a government employee, and so now he's learning all the ropes and um and tying lines and all of that but he yeah it's been very interesting to see it from my point of view because i've had my business for a while but i'm i'm gonna yeah. look, definitely share this podcast with him i think he'll uh he'll love it so this is great wonderful wonderful yeah So how do you approach talent acquisition and development to ensure that your team can support and drive your businesses to the next growth phase?
2: So again, another great question. We had a conversation earlier in reference to another individual, Mike, who was given some solid advice about hiring people that you're comfortable working with. And indeed, that is sound advice quite frank, and we talk about this more in partnerships than we do with employees, because uh, in partnerships, there has there's an I- integral relationship, not only emotionally, but financially as well. Those things, were are tied together by those in comparison to employees versus leadership, where there is a, you're working for the same company, but you don't have that level of responsibility and commitment to each other. Uh, so, employee staffing, it, it becomes a very difficult endeavor based on the turnover. One of the things that I've had the biggest problem with in my history, and one of the most common complaints that I have from other businesses, are the number of individuals that are hired that only stay for a short period of time, and that's extremely problematic. And There's been a number of, and there's empirical evidence that the costs related to a poor hire but, the, but what's really not discussed on a regular basis is the the, the moral destruction it does to the, the company. When you take away the morale of you, – you hire someone. You're going to assign them a mentee. That mentee is going to take them around for two weeks. They're going to expend X amount of energy in order to train that person, and suddenly they've left. Well, that doesn't do the company – any good. They've just lost thousands of dollars on the hire. But more importantly, the person who you have as a good employee, because you basically that's your best employee, you want to put your best foot forward. So you assign your best to train? Well, Mm -hmm. guess what happens? You're sucking the lifeblood out of your organization by assigning them to individuals, they're going to uh, be dismissed or leave quickly. And Mm -hmm. so it is a, uh, you know, unfortunately, It's one of those uh, things that just can get worse and worse as you assign more and more people. So understanding the dynamics of how your internal organization works and the morale that's extremely important to keep elevated, especially among your top ranking uh, people. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I I think most organizations could say, yeah, I could let 50% 50 of my people go today and the organization would run just fine because my top people could cover the cover the difference. And unfortunately, that's not the way that you want to operate your business. You want to have 50 people that will run your business. And if you lost one of them, it's going to hurt.
1: Okay. That's a good way to think about it too. But you're you're right. I think the employees make everything. Um, wow. So do you do one-on-one coaching as well? <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> on, on that employee, and I just let me just wrap that up because I think it's an important point. Too many people focus in on the quantity and not the quality, mm. um, and, and that and the reason they go for the quantity is because they have a high turnover rate. Yeah. You see, you see how that is a catch twenty-two, and that's the real problem. If you're hiring good people, you they mm. won't leave. If you have a good corporate culture, they won't leave. And that's what you're, that's the objective that you want. And if that was the dream, then HR wouldn't be a problem.
1: And that's so great. I just found out that one of my clients, he has had employees, he's a dentist and he's had employees, probably six of his employees have been there 25 years with them. And I'm like, that's unheard of. This, I, this and
2: that's a family. That that's yeah, that is family. a fa- That's a family.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm like, you're doing something right for sure. Well, this mm-hmm. has been great. We're definitely going to have you back on again. It's been such yes,
2: a-, a- I, I, I like doing this.
1: Good. Well, you're hired. <laughs> so- <laughs> If you want more information.
2: The compensation package is absolutely fantastic.
1: (laughs) Exactly, right. Uh, I like your sense of humor too. But if you want more information, you can visit National University's website. It is nu.edu. And thanks again for your time. We look forward to your next visit, Doctor. Thank you, Kim. You've been listening to the National University Podcast. For updates on future or past guests, visit us at nu.edu. You can also follow us on social media. Thanks for listening.